We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 5. We're picking up where we left off last time. Um, I had a really interesting time studying this. I was planning on doing the first seven verses. They're kind of a section. And as I started studying it, the first verse just completely unfolded with all this depth. So we're going to go over one verse tonight. And uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. At the East Coast Pastors Conference last year, some of those pastors, the bigger name Calvary guys that you, you hear on the radio and stuff, they were all given these messages, and some of them were on one or two verses. And I, I couldn't understand how, how do you teach for an hour on one verse? And since then, doing Broken Chains, it's happened to me on several occasions, and then it happened again today. And I realized that it's not because they can teach on one verse for an hour. It's because the Lord has so much to say, and there's so much depth in the Word, and that's where it really comes from. It's not that they're just these amazing, and they are amazing teachers, but it's the Lord working through them. So it, it's, it's a cool realization to have once I got to that realization. Um, I will go ahead and pray first, and then I have to do a little bit of background to catch everyone up. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this place to come and worship corporately, Lord. And I just ask that your spirit would come upon me and that your spirit would fill this room, Lord, and that you would speak through me, that these would be your words, and that uh, we we would all take something away from it, Lord. And I just ask all this in your name. Amen. All right. Background. This book is written by Solomon, King Solomon, the son of King David. Um, He's also the writer of Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. In the book of Chronicles, the Lord came to Solomon and told him, anything you want, I'll give it to you, just tell me, anything. And he said that he wanted wisdom. He wanted all the wisdom that he could have. And the Lord rewarded him for that, giving him both wisdom and riches more than any of any man before him or after him. Solomon, to this day, is the richest man to have ever lived. Um, If we were to put it in today's dollars, accounting for inflation and all that stuff, he would be worth $2.1 trillion. Um, That's a lot. He had every luxury available in the world to him. He had palaces, vineyards, farms, entertainers, servants, exotic pets, decadent food, the highest fashion, and women. And he had a lot of women. Um, God only intended for us to have one spouse in this life. And all through the Old Testament with Solomon and David, we see where having more than one wife causes a lot of problems in life. Um, Solomon had 300 concubines and 700 wives of royal blood from other countries. Uh, when Solomon started out as king, he was, he was doing really well. He was building altars to the Lord He made thousands of sacrifices to the Lord. He built the temple. Um, But once he started acquiring all these wives from other lands, they came with other gods, false gods. So Solomon started building altars to them and thus began his distance from the Lord. Um, In this book, written in the later part of Solomon's life, he's looking back at his life. He's reflecting on the vanity of things, the emptiness of things that we tend to pursue here under the sun in life apart from God. He says the phrase under the sun something like 30 times in these 12 chapters. Um, And it's all about being here and not having an eternal perspective, uh, being apart from God. And um, he focuses on the things that we try and find satisfaction in, that we try and fill 
the, the God-shaped hole in our hearts. Um, we also see him reflect on tragedies that he's seen and the hopelessness of it all. Um, in previous chapters, we see him go on this roller coaster ride of bitter regret and then moments of clarity. And we see him speaking on finding satisfaction in pleasure, in wine, in entertainment, in work, in possessions. We see him talk about oppression and tragedy. We see him speak hopelessly about it all. And at times, we see him speak of appreciation and contentment with what God has blessed us with. Because if we're not content with what God has blessed us with and we're striving for all this other stuff, it's hopeless. It's vanity. We have no hope. Um, and chapter 5 he starts off with a very profound point. Um, after discussing all the vanity and all the tragedy and all the horrible things that we witness and experience here under the sun, now he drives us to the Lord to open up chapter 5. Uh, Matthew Henry would explain Solomon's intent like this. He says, Let our disappointments in the creature turn our eyes to the Creator. Let us have recourse to the word of God's grace and consult that to the throne of his grace and solicit that, meaning to seek that, to beg for that. In the word and prayer, there is a balm for every wound. I liked that. Um, I couldn't have paraphrased it and made it sound nearly as eloquent as he did, so I just quoted him. Um, we'll go ahead and we'll dive in here to verse 1. Solomon says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. There's a few points that are made in this one sentence. Uh, the first, he tells us to walk prudently. He's telling us to behave accordingly and to take care to why you're here. And why, why are you here? What is the, what is the point of being here? Are you, what, what is your intention for being here? What is your focus on while you're here? Are you possibly here without wanting to be, to please a girlfriend or a spouse? Or are you here because you're an old-fashioned American and that's just what Americans are supposed to do because you go to church because you're an American? Or are you here to feel good about yourself or to feel more righteous? Or are you here because you think coming in the door is how you get to heaven. Um, I hope that the answer to all those for everyone in this room is no. Uh, we, we should have no other intention of being here, no other purpose of being here, except to worship and to learn God's word and to hear from God, and that should be our primary focus at all times. He's telling us to listen, to pay attention, to listen to what the Lord has to say. There's a lot of distraction in life, especially nowadays. We have cell phones in our pockets. It's really easy. I'm guilty of doing it. I feel a vibration in my pocket, and I've got to check and see who that is, as if that person can't wait for me to get done hearing from God. Especially during second service. I already heard the first one, so I sit back there, and I play on my phone a lot. And it, it convicted me studying this, you know. Uh, the first service and the second service aren't always the same. Maybe the Lord has something else to say to me, and I, I'm not paying attention. My focus isn't on the Lord in that moment. And I could really miss out on something that the Lord really wants me to hear. Um, we can chatter with each other, you know, leaning over, making jokes to someone or, or whatever it might be, talking about how goofy so-and-so shirt looks today or whatever, or maybe we're daydreaming about lunch or we're 
thinking of how stressful work is going to be tomorrow or any other number of problems that we have in our life. And if you've got problems that you're thinking about in church, you probably need to just be praying about it in that moment anyway um, because this is where you go to sort out your problems. This is where you go, and prayer is where you go to sort out your problems. Um, The Hebrew word for here that's used here has a double force to it. Um, It not only means to listen, but it means to obey, to pay attention and obey, to take into account what you're hearing from the Lord and live in it and not just pass it off once you heard it. We have a great an awesome Lord in heaven. He inspired every author in this book to write what they wrote to us. This is the divine word of God for us. If you don't believe that every word in this book is true, then you can't believe that any of it is true. So why are you here? If you do believe it, and I hope you do, you better also believe that God's ways are better than ours. He's got a plan, he cares about us, and he knows what's best for us. If you don't believe that, why are you here? Listen and obey and apply the scriptures to your life. Listen to what the Lord has to say to you. Seek what the Lord has to say to you. And when he says something to you, listen to him. The scriptures are instructions from Jesus Christ himself for us to live. You're not going to see any spiritual fruit in your life if you don't. I know firsthand. The times when you tend to get away from your devotions, your prayer life might fizzle a little bit. You, you, you get busy doing this or busy doing that and you're not spending as much time with the Lord. That's when stuff really starts to, to unwind. Um, We have to be applying these scriptures to our lives all the time. Um, I've learned from Rob, as as I went into broken chains, you know, we knew the nature of what I was doing. I was going to have to be counseling with people um, individually. And the one thing Rob told me before we started was, you know, there can't be this endless cycle of, well, I have all these problems in my life, and I just want to talk to you about it, and you tell me what to do to fix it. We point them to the scriptures. We give them a relevant scripture. We give them God's word, God's direction on the subject, and we tell them, go, read it, study it, and apply it. And if they come back and things aren't better, the first thing we ask is, did you do what the Bible told you? And if they said no, then we say, well, come back when you've done that. This, this word has all the direction that we need. Apply the scriptures to your life. Draw near and hear, listen and obey, rather than give the sacrifice of fools, he says. What is the sacrifice of fools? There's a few different uh, types of situations that I I found when I was studying this. In the Old Testament, um, there was a lot of sacrifices. It was very very much a part of their life. There were all different kinds of sacrifices, some for atonement and different things. And eventually this type of thing became routine. It was ceremonial. 
it, it became thoughtless for a lot of people. It was just what you did um, without thinking about why you were doing it, who you were doing it for. They built their society around these rituals and essentially made the law and the sacrifices their God at this time. This is something that we see Jesus constantly trying to bring to light in the Gospels, is the, the emptiness and, and the, I'll say, vanity, like Solomon does, um, of, of these kind of routines. We can't rest on a routine or a ritual for our salvation. Coming in here, or anyone listening from another church, coming here, going to your church, reading divine prayer number one, because that's what's in the book, is not what's going to save your soul. Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ, is the only way to have eternal salvation. No amount of works is going to do anything for us. Part of that relationship is following him, hearing him, and obeying him when he speaks to you. In 1 Samuel 15, King Saul was told to wipe out the Amalekites. They were an unrighteous nation. He was told to leave no one alive, and that goes for their animals as well. Wipe out all of them. Saul decided, I'm going to keep, keep some of these animals because they, they, they had good animals. They had good cattle. They had good sheep, goats, and whatever else. And when he gets confronted by Samuel, he says, well, I sacrificed some of them. And Samuel tells him that obedience in the Lord is better than sacrifice. Saul was relying on this routine, this act to try and justify his, his salvation, I guess, so to speak. It's, but he went in direct disobedience to the Lord. Listen and obey. If you're coming to a church and going through routines and rituals, but you don't have your heart set on truly connecting to the Lord, if you're just there to do the routine... I'm glad that we don't have that sort of thing here. For you know, we we don't have a lot of a lot of those those sit, stand up, sit down, pray now, do this, do it this way. It's a huge blessing, but it, if anyone is going anywhere to do those things, but your heart is not truly set on connecting to the Lord, to worshiping the Lord, and listening to the Lord, and obeying the Lord but you're putting your faith in those rituals, I would encourage you to read the word and to pray to Jesus and strengthen that relationship and then evaluate those things you're doing and why you're doing them. Another form of a full sacrifice is not giving the Lord your best. In the Old Testament, one of the the full sacrifices was when someone would give the Lord animals for sacrifice that were sick or injured. They were animals they didn't want anymore anyway. They weren't giving the Lord their best. That kind of sacrifice is the reason that Cain was angered at Abel. Abel gave a a, a sincere sacrifice to the Lord of his best, and Cain didn't. The Lord wasn't happy, and Cain in rage killed his brother. We need to give the Lord our best. When we come to church... Are we giving the Lord our best? Am I giving the Lord my best every time I walk in the door? Pay attention to the word. Pay attention to the teaching. Pay attention to what he has to say to you. And this is going to be a recurring theme. When we worship, do we sing like we're singing to him? 
like he's right here, right in front of us, right in front of you, the creator of the universe, the master of our lives, the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving, righteous, gracious, long-suffering savior of us all, are we singing to him when we're singing these songs? Are we worshiping him? Are we thinking about him while we worship? Even if you don't sing, you don't have to worship in the same way as everyone. Some people don't sing, but are you feeling that in your heart? Ken Graves wouldn't like that I said that. Feels a four-letter word. Um, are, are, are you making that connection with the Lord is my point. Whether you're singing or, or silently worshiping, however you're doing it, are you connecting with him? Are, are you sending him your appreciation for what he did for you, your glorification of him? Are we doing this when we worship? Worship is also not just something we do here. We worship by the way that we live our lives. We can worship the Lord with our actions every single day by the way that we walk. <clears throat> Are we giving the Lord our best? Are we praising him like we believe he's worthy of it? Give the Lord your best. Another form of a fool's sacrifice. I, I had to take an excerpt from Isaiah. Ironically, I read more from Isaiah in this study than I did in Ecclesiastes, but I promise it's relevant and it all comes together. I'm going to read through six verses here, and it's Isaiah prophesying to Israel. So these are the words of God through Isaiah to Israel. It says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams, and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, and the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. The people, as I said, that Isaiah is prophesying to is the nation of Israel. They had begun doing evil. Earlier in that same chapter, God compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were two of the most wicked cities ever known. People still today compare places to them when, when we're just having normal conversations they were indulgent in sexual immorality, violence, and idolatry. Those were common practice there, and that's just to name a few. It, wa it wasn't just that people were doing it. It was their culture. It was, it was their society. It was built around it. They were completely wicked, and God just compared Israel to them. Israel was given to all these things, yet they still upheld their religious rituals. They were practicing the Sabbath, holding their memorial feasts, giving their sacrifices, all that was supposed to be to worship a God that they didn't seem to care very much about anymore or care about what he has to say to them anymore. They certainly didn't obey him. 
or they wouldn't have been living the way that they were, which is a constant theme through the Old Testament. God didn't want any of these things from them anymore, the things that he listed off, the sacrifices, the incense, because they didn't mean it. They weren't worshiping him by doing these things. They were living evil lives, unrepentant evil lives, given to all these sinful ways, enslaved by these sinful ways, then going through the motions at the temple and thinking that everything's okay. He didn't want their Sabbaths. He didn't want their incense. He didn't want their holidays. He told them he would no longer hear their prayers. Now, this isn't just sin the way that we all still fall short and fall victim to our flesh sometimes in sin. This is completely unrepentant. I don't care. I'm doing it because I like it. Sin. I think of things like, just for, I guess, an example, the, the, the Irish, Italian, and Mexican gangs who are all strong Catholics who go and kill people during the week and then go to Mass on Saturday, make a confession, eat a communion, and they're good. They're not living a life for Jesus Christ. They're placing their salvation in the rituals. It is a fool's sacrifice, these motions they're going through. But God tells them, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. The way we wash ourselves is to repent, to accept the gift that Jesus offers by belief in him, by believing in Jesus Christ and listening and obeying. We will have our salvation, not by any ritual, not by anything that we do. And repentance isn't just apologizing and asking for forgiveness. Repentance is a change of direction. Repentance is moving closer to Jesus Christ and further from your transgressions. It may take time. It took me a long time. But don't ever stop moving closer to him. Don't ever stop moving closer to him. He is where we're given the strength to overcome our flesh. He is where we find freedom from our sin. He is where we find our hope in a dark world full of vanities and oppression and tragedy. The verse said, walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Why are you there? Are you there for the right reasons? Are you taking care of the reason that you're there? Draw near and hear means pay attention and obey rather than give the sacrifice of fools, rather than do these vain things that aren't sincere, that aren't actually a form of worship. Putting your faith in the ritual themselves says, for they do not know that they do evil. The, the Living Bible put it pretty plainly, and I really like it. 
says, as you enter the temple, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. When you come here, come with a heart to worship him and praise him sincerely. As we talked about tonight, that's a typo, excuse me, all that we talked about tonight is applicable outside this building as well. If we're only having this time with the Lord when we're here, then we are missing out on a lot. Have a desire to know him, to listen to his word, to hear from him in his word and in your prayer life, and obey him when you hear from him. Comply with his will for your life. We have a great Lord who knows his plans for us and knows what's right for us. Trust in his ways. Worship him in spirit and in truth as he wants to be worshipped. Rely on your relationship with him rather than rituals and ceremonies for your hope, for your joy, for your salvation. We have a great, great Lord who is worthy of more praise than we could ever give him. So give him your best. With the extent that verse 1 covered, I, I wouldn't have been able to continue. Um, so we're done a little bit early tonight. Um, but I hope that someone got something from that. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll pray and we'll worship for the last song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you're so great, as Rob said at the beginning, that we don't know your plans. We can't always understand you, Lord, but it's because you're that great and that vast that, that we need you, Lord, that we, we need your guidance, we need your word, we need your will in our life. Otherwise, everything will fall apart, Lord. And I just pray that as we leave here that it, we can ask you to show us if, we, if we've had our focus off when we come here, Lord, if we're, if we're worshiping you the way that you want to be worshiped, Lord, just speak to all of our hearts and show us what you would have us do, Lord. And I just pray that we would all have a, a better appreciation for who you are and what you expect from us. I just ask all this in your name. Amen.